1: Thanks for joining us with Gideon Fox, Alec Crowdhamel, and Jake Maystel. I'm Eddie Kolegi. We are inside of 24 hours before the Rutgers men's basketball team plays their first game In the 2023 Big Ten Tournament, ninth seeded Scarlet Knights will face the 8th-seeded Michigan Wolverines at the United Center tomorrow at noon. Dennis Geisler and Dylan Allen will have the call of all the action. We'll start there today. We'll also talk some NFL, the franchise tagging news yesterday. We'll have a reaction on the quarterback carousel. Jim Boeheim big news in college basketball stepping down after 47 seasons just announced about an hour ago we'll talk about that but let's begin of course with Rutgers men's basketball the Scarlet Knights have only beaten Michigan once before and that was at Jersey Mike's Arena they just played them two weeks ago and they lost and really struggled in that game offensively at Jersey Mike's Arena and now they have to go play them in the Big Ten tournament Rutgers has had some success In the Big Ten tournament on a few occasions, most notably at the Garden five years ago. But Gideon, I'll start with you. Looking at this matchup with Michigan, of course, Hunter Dickinson is a challenge. But the Wolverines have a lot of guys who can score. They can move the ball very effectively. And the Scarlet Knights, on the other hand, in this tailspin without Mawat Mag, they've only won two games since Mag's injury at the Garden on February 4th. The offense just hasn't been there down the stretch and both Michigan and Rutgers are in a situation where they have to perform in the Big Ten tournament probably to make the NCAA tourney, and a loss for either team will pretty much most likely put them out of March Madness.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, Eddie, huge, huge, huge game. Um, Huge important for both teams. Like, equally important. Michigan has the exact same thing on the line that Rutgers does. Um, A lot of people, including bracketologist expert Brad Wachtel are saying it's a lose-and-out game, that it's a win-and-pray that there's no bid-stealing, which, with the way conference tournaments are going right now, there hasn't been too many crazy bid-stealers yet. Charleston won their conference tournament, which helps Rutgers' case a lot. But for this game specifically, like you were saying, Eddie, Michigan has excellent guards. They can move the ball around really quickly. I'm looking at Doug McDaniel, Kobe Bufkin, two players that went off last time um, the, and the Michigan Wolverines rolled in to Jersey Mike's Arena. Uh, last time they combined for 30 points, Hunter Dickinson at 13 of his own, and then no one else had double-digit points. Um, I mean, we saw a lot of shots coming out from Joey Baker, one of their forwards, but right now, my biggest concern is with Doug McDaniel and Kobe Bufkin. You have to assume Caleb McConnell probably is going to pick up one of them. Mawat Mag would have picked up the other, but now without Mawat Mag, it'll be an interesting defensive matchup there. it would be interesting to see if Rutgers tries to... St- if Rutgers goes back into a 2-3 zone, Michigan's going to try to shoot the ball a lot, Um I don't know if you guys have seen any news about Jet Howard. Um, I don't know if he's playing tomorrow. I haven't seen much about him. There's an article out like six days ago that had some status that was that was not really conclusive. Um, if Jet Howard doesn't play tomorrow, I think Rutgers stands a much 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 better chance. I think they would play really nicely in the zone. But Eddie, like you were saying with Mawat Mag, I think the loss of Mawat Mag. Sure, on offense, he he was there, he could knock down the three ball when needed, but the biggest loss is in the full-court press, or in the half-quarter court, the three-quarter court press. Watt Mag is probably the most athletic person on this team, um, and was able to to bounce back and forth, cause turnover, strip the ball away, but also just cover guys in the back court. That's something that Rutgers doesn't have now. Caleb McConnell, of course, co-Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, and he's incredibly deserving of that, but I think... Mawat Mack has quicker side to side is quicker side to side than he is. He's quicker side to side than Andre Hyatt is. Andre Hyatt's even admitted that before. So Rutgers is really suffering in the press right now. They're they're struggling to get points off of turnovers in that regard. I think if Rutgers hit some big shots, Derrick Simpson plays the way that he's been playing. If Rutgers gets a little bit creative on offense and doesn't run the same sets over and over again, these unimaginative sets where it's a Derek Simpson drive and hopefully a kick out to Cam Spencer, who's gonna be covered by by three players at that point. I think Rutgers has a chance in this game. Um, I just think they need to connect on some shots which just has not been working for them.
2: Yeah, in terms of in terms of Jet Howard, the last two games that Michigan has played went a double overtime and overtime and he played 44 and 43 minutes each and scored 15 16 points. So I am assuming he's full go for for tomorrow.
0: Oh yeah, so that's that's concerning for the Scarlet Knights. He's he's a volume shooter. Mm-hmm. I'm he's a volume shooter in the way that Andre Hyatt's a volume shooter, except what's different about him and Andre Hyatt is he hits Pretty much every single shot he takes. I mean, he's the type of guy that that'll pull up eight times from beyond the arc and hit like upwards of four or five of them. So that that's a guy the Scarlet Knights need to key in on. I assume Kaylen Connell will be on him for a little bit uh, if they if he stays on the perimeter a lot. So that'll be another interesting thing. But Michigan could move the ball really, really well. Uh, before Rutgers played Michigan the last time, Steve Peichel called Michigan a more athletic Purdue. Um, that means that Zach Gideon and Hunter Dickinson draw comparisons. I do think Cliff could shut down Hunter Dickinson. I want to hear what you guys have to say, but it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a battle the whole way down.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't think Hunter Dickinson is as big of a problem for Rutgers as we might think. The last few times the Scarlet Knights have played the Wolverines, Hunter Dickinson really hasn't been the problem. He had, he did have a double-double, 13-11 uh, for Michigan, but we have seen other centers who have had more success against Cliff Amore. Dickinson fits into that kind of Awkward size category where Cliff is able to defend well and kind of manage and still be able to play his offensive game. Cliff had a double double in that Scarlet Knights lost to Michigan a couple of weeks ago at home. So, a couple of players I'm going to pay attention to, a couple of stats I have to look at. Rutgers got lucky that Michigan only scored 58 points, and if Jet Howard is playing, they're going to probably score more than 58, which is going to mean Scarlet Knights offensively have to get going. Now, Rutgers offensively, it's been a struggle. Only game they really had a huge offensive output since Moat Mag got hurt was Minnesota, and they lost that game. So, Paul Mulcahy has to find his shot. He has to make plays. Caleb McConnell, I think, is going to have to step up a bit. He was a bit limited in that Michigan game because, remember, he we it was he was game-time decision, came off the bench after the back spasms, kept him out of the Wisconsin game. He played 26 minutes. He'll probably be in the 30s for this one. But... Last year, when it mattered most, Caleb McConnell came up big offensively. He looked good offensively against Iowa in the Big Ten tournament game they lost, and then of course he had the breakout first half when he dropped 18 against Notre Dame in the tournament game. So, the veteran leaders, even if they're not accustomed to scoring, we haven't seen them score a lot this season, they're going to have to in this game, because Cliff Amore can only do so much against Hunter Dickinson, and like you said, Cam Spencer is going to be hounded defensively, and he's not going to get many good looks. He'll probably still score in double figures, but it's going to be a real challenge. And the Scarlet Knights have to make sure that their offense does not become too predictable. It's become almost monotonous, these last two home games they played against Northwestern, and then when they played Michigan. And this was a trap they fell into early in the year against Seton Hall. When they have their worst offensive performances, it's basically when they have Paul Mulcahy run the point, And dribble all the way almost near the baseline, get backed into a corner, and either forces a pass down low to Amori that gets tipped away, or he tries to kick out to Andre Hyatt or Spencer who are well covered, or he tries to shoot it himself and he's double covered and he can't hit. So Rutgers has to make sure that everybody is moving on offense, it's not just Mulcahy. And if they can be in sync, I think this is a manageable game for the Scarlet Knights. I know Michigan has a lot to play for, too. They really have to make a statement in the Big Ten tournament to have any chance at March Madness. But for out of the teams that Rutgers could have ended up playing, I feel like despite the past history, and maybe Jake, you can jump in on this, Michigan might be a bit more manageable than some of the other opponents they could have gotten in the conference.
3: I mean, certainly when you look at the box score for the Michigan game, it's not the worst matchup for them. Um, They they matched up pretty well in in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Michigan, in that game against the Scarlet Knights, only shot 28% from three. The Scarlet Knights shot 30.8%. Both teams were pretty bad from the field overall, 40.7%. For Michigan, Rutgers 38.3%. The, di- the difference in that game a lot was really free throw shooting percentage because, I mean, even really, Rutgers didn't foul Michigan much more than Michigan fouled them, only two more fouls than Michigan the whole game. And I, I think one of the big one of the big keys for Rutgers is that if they're going to win this game, they're going to need they're going to need to turn over the ball a little less than they did last time and they're just going to need to shoot better, particularly from the free throw line, which over their last three games has been a big, big problem. They have not shot above 70% from the free throw line at all in their last three games, including the win at Penn State. So that's I think probably the key in this game for Rutgers is that they need to just make their shots more. They're when they it, and just in general. I mean, shooting from the field has not been super great. Aside from against Minnesota, right. Aside from against Minnesota, I mean, they've been shooting less than forty percent from the field. They shot less than 40% from the field against Penn State and Northwestern and against Michigan the last time they played them. The recent trend we've been seeing in the last – seven or so games is that the Scarlet Knights, when they shoot the ball, it's been going dead, like off the rim, off the backboard, air ball, just not being able to make their shots. Part of that is good defense by their opponents, especially without Mawai Mag in there, but another part of that is just a lack of confidence. They need to find a way to get that confidence back, and they need to put some more accuracy on On their shots, because without that accuracy, of course, if you can't make your shots from the free throw line, from the field, whatever, you you can't win the game because you're not going to score as many points. It sounds obvious, but it's one of those things that Rutgers had been so good at the first half of the season, but in this back stretch, they've been really struggling in that department. That's they're going to have to find a way to kick it up probably not to the gear they were at in the first half of the year but they're going to have to get to a a good point shooting wise accuracy wise in order to win this
2: game. Yeah, and I I think defenses have adjusted to the way Rutgers, you know, plays on offense and I think um I think I, I think Michigan was one of the first teams to really do that. What we've seen and looking back at the uh, at the Northwestern game, what we're seeing is you know, when Paul Mulcahy and Cliff Amore worked that high pick-and-roll, which is something that, you know, earlier on in the season worked really, really, really well, teams are kind of, you know, hedging around the screen and trapping the ball handler. And because, one thing that Jake said, you know, there's not a lot of confidence and they're really not shooting well, it feels like there's not much spacing. So once they do that, teams can just kind of pack the paint. Uh, and, you know, Rutgers is kind of stymied on offense. Um, and then I think that defense has played f- pretty well. Um given the circumstances, especially down their best defender and their other best defender is kind of hobbled right now. Um, but, I mean, they're still they're, – they're, it's not like they're giving up, like, you know, complete breakdowns on defense. While well, we've seen individual possessions break down. I mean, they held Boo Booey and Chase Audige to three combined points for a solid almost 30 minutes on Sunday night, and it still wasn't good enough. They still trailed, which in large part was due to the offense. Um, so I think the defense is in good shape. I guess, you know, it's not what it was. You know, I was watching some of the highlights of, you know, some of the games in December, like Seton Hall, Indiana, and all that, and you could see there's just a different gear to the way that they were attacking defensively. You know, the way that they were trapping, uh, you know, they, they press and they get someone in the corner and they just completely hound them. It's it's just not there. And obviously part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, there are, there are much fresher legs in December than there are in March, obviously. Um, and being down, you know, like Gideon said, probably your most athletic player um, doesn't help either, so... I think they're going to have to really dig deep to try to get out of this hole that they've built for themselves. And I think I agree with some of the bracketologists that are saying it's it's a lose and out game. I think if Rutgers wins, they have they have the resume, um, and I think they have the advantage over some of the other bubble teams, um, like that win over Purdue and a road win over Northwestern. That's slowly climbing up the the leaderboards. Um, that it'll be good enough to at least get them in the tournament. So uh, once they actually get in the tournament, we'll see what they can do. Um, but I think the goal right now is, you know, win tomorrow and see where that takes you.
0: Yeah, and I think tomorrow, you know, like you guys are saying, the defense the defense is there. I mean, you look at Northwestern, Rutgers led up 65 points. That's exactly the speed limit. Minnesota, they hung with them on offense. Penn State, 59. Michigan, 58. Wisconsin, 57. Uh, Nebraska was an oddity. Illinois they only let up 6 they only let up 69 and they put up 60 of their own points. I mean the defense is still there. It's still top 5 in Kempom The defense is holding up, and like like you were saying, Mawat Mag gone. Caleb McConnell didn't even practice today before the Northwestern game because of who knows what injury now, yet he still had like four steals in the first half. He's playing out of his mind, and the guy guy can't even practice because he's so banged up, yet for 40 minutes every night, he's turning it up on defense. So the defense is not the problem. It's just this team cannot score points at all. They can't buy buckets. Cliff hasn't been dominant in the paint the same way that you've seen him recently. He's been forcing shots up, which Hunter Dickinson will make him pay for those.
2: Yeah, and actually something that I noticed in the uh, post-game press conference after the Northwestern game, Caleb Caleb McConnell said that, you know, he didn't practice the day before because of his hip and his back, and I I knew about the back spasm, so I was like, wait, what hip is it? Like, I mean, it it feels like, you know, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries uh, for the last few years since he's been here, and... I mean to be able to get through it all, it's it's kind of amazing to watch him still give everything that he's got out there.
0: Yeah, when he when he plays, you can't tell that there's any injury. Same with Paul Mulcahy, who definitely has probably extensive shoulder damage after everything that's been happening this year. And that happened in the
2: first game of the season yeah. in a twenty point game against Columbia. That's <laughs> Ex- insane. Exactly. Like
1: the, it's like five minutes in the game too. It's yeah. Like, yeah, and it's it's lingered all year. But here's the deal. Like there there's a lot working against Rutgers right now especially when you look towards Selection Sunday. Again, Rutgers fans are going to have to sweat this out unless they go on some magical run this week. Even if they beat Michigan... There are a lot of challenges, and there are multiple factors that are not in the Scarlet Knights' favor. Number one is the Big Ten's overall performance and the recent stigma that's been growing that the conference isn't just, you know, really competitive. It's that the teams can't really hang with the SEC or the Big 12. And prime examples is that there have been 18 Big Ten teams that have made the tournament in the last two years, and only three have made it to the second weekend. So that's number one. Number two is the fact that the Scarlet Knights in terms of net ranking, were the worst net-ranked team ever to make the tournament last year because they had the bad losses and a lot of people thought they didn't belong in the tournament. They did make it and they did play one heck of a game against Notre Dame, ended up losing, but for certain people on the committee that might have given Rutgers the benefit of the doubt last year, I don't know if they're going to do the same thing this year. And then another thing that Brad Wachtel, the bracketologist, talked about was that the committee also does eye tests. They're going to look at a team, not just based on the stats, of course the stats and your quad performances matter, but Look at how the team plays. Rutgers has been in a complete free fall for the past month, and there's really no sugarcoating that. Since the MAG injury, they've won two games. They've lost on the road to the by far worst team in the Big Ten. They lost at home to arguably the second worst team in the Big Ten. So there's going to be a lot riding against Rutgers so they are going to need a convincing statement here in Big Ten play because multiple times they have put themselves in a position this regular season where if they won it seemed like they would be tournament locks and they could not do that so now you get one more opportunity to potentially do that if you can beat Michigan and then at least show up somewhat against Purdue And again, Purdue doesn't really worry me that much. I know they're a great team, but Rutgers historically has played very well against Purdue and they match up so well against them that I think Rutgers, if they got there, could hang with Purdue decently well. I'm not saying they'd beat them again, but I don't think it would be a complete embarrassment. So this game against Michigan matters so much. Michigan, like Rutgers, is one of four big... These are two of the four Big Ten teams on the bubble. There could be multiple Big Ten teams going to Dayton, just like how there were two last year. But Scarlet Knights, it's going to be difficult because there is a lot working against them this year that they didn't necessarily have last year. And for most of the season, they had the resume to get in. Of course, Purdue and Northwestern are going to carry them a long way. But there's work to be done. And one last point I'll make again... I know some people have been critical of Cam Spencer, but he's played well these last couple of games compared to the rest of the offense, and if he didn't hit two big shots to give them the lead at Mackey and at Welsh Ryan, Rutgers would be nowhere close to the tournament and essentially would have to win the Big Ten to get in.
0: I think the Cam Spencer isn't good take is probably the worst take around Rutgers basketball this entire year. If If you looked at Cam Spencer in those couple of games where he wasn't shooting the ball well, which is true, he wasn't shooting the ball well. Fine. Fact. Like, the numbers don't lie. You, I mean, you're ignoring his defense. You're ignoring the beginning of the season. at Atlanta. Like you were saying, the two biggest shots of the year for Rutgers, arguably the two shots still holding them in tournament contention, were hit by Cam Spencer. And, of course, they were off beautiful passes from Paul Mulcahy. So, if you put... Saying Cam Spencer isn't making... You know, has had ups and downs this year fine. I think it says a lot more about the team that they don't have a second guy to go to when a number one guy isn't performing well, but or performing well offensively. Cam Spencer's been holding this team in on defense. He gets steals. He gets rebounds, too. I mean, against Northwestern, he had five rebounds. He's a pretty. He's a small guy, and he's still getting bored. So Cam Spencer is a vital part of the Scarlet Knights, and anybody that thinks otherwise, I I frankly think is, hasn't watched Rutgers basketball.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I've felt about with that kind of take, is that you know, if you're saying that he's, you know, he's struggling shooting the ball, like you said, yeah, that's, I mean, he's he has struggled shooting in, in, in some games this year, but it's not like he's only a shooter. And uh, I feel like, you know, with before he came in and as we saw the season kind of progress, I feel like that's what some people started to pigeonhole as pigeonhole him as like just a shooter. But I mean, the guy is capable at pretty much any aspect of basketball. Obviously, he's a great shooter, like we said. Uh, he can bring the ball up and is a good passer. I mean. We haven't really seen it as much because Paul Mulcahy is the better passer on the team, um, and the guy you know he's not the most athletic on defense, but he is really really smart. He's really smart. He has great hands and he's quick, so it feels like you know he he, he can poke it out and he had three steals uh, against Northwestern. So, yeah, I mean I I really hope I'm not I really hope people aren't saying that like Cam Spencer is like not good or whatever because I think it's just false and it also kind of diminishes what he can do other than shooting if you're just looking at his like field goal percentage or three-point percentage or whatever.
0: He also had three assists against Northwestern, too. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a facilitator. Like you're saying, he's, he's good at basketball. He's a baller. Like, sure, he struggled to shoot at some points this year. There's multiple games. Fine. But, like, I think it's a bigger indictment of the team that they don't have another guy to go to. That's the really concerning part. You can't expect a guy who is an all-around player, and, yes, you know, he's a great three-point shooter. He led the Patriot League last year in three-point percentage. But I think it's a much bigger problem when there's no backup to that. There's no other guy to go to. We've seen Andre Hyatt try to come into that role, and it isn't working. There is no guy to take over if Cam Sensor's not having a good night shooting. So I think that's the bigger problem and something the Scarlet Knights need to figure out. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I just want to say, like, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I saw they were—Big Ten was promoting the highlights from five years ago when Corey Sanders kind of took over and lit up Madison Square Garden, when Rutgers went on a run and won two games in the Big Ten tournament. And when you look back at past Paykel teams of the last few years, there was always that one guy— that even if a possession was going horribly wrong, you could get him the ball and chances were he was going to make the shot. It was Corey Sanders, you had Jacob Young, Yaboa to an extent, and then of course Gio and Ron. Now you don't have any of those guys. Cam Spencer tries his best, but he is someone who is hits open shots.
3: I, I think we could be seeing that guy emerge in Derek Simpson.
1: I think yeah, Yeah. I think we could so well
3: the last few games he's been he's starting to become a reliable, you know, keep you in the game slash take over the game type of guy. He is still a freshman, he is still coming off the bench. But I think I think if if you get to a point in this game where it's relatively close and it seems like every single time he touches the ball, he scores. I think you got to ride the high hand and keep him in the game over Cam Spencer or Paul Mulcahy or whoever is not playing well instead of him.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, for for the pretty much the last 25 minutes of the Penn State game, the offense ran through him. He was the mm-hmm. guy bringing the ball up with that you know really really good first step, and that's something that you mentioned that a guy can you know kind of step up like that. You know, with all the Big Ten contenders, there's always. Like, like, like Eddie said, you know, that one guy like Michael teams have had in the past, but then there's also a second guy who can really, you know, come in and, you know, be that guy if, you know, the first guy isn't having the best game. Like you look at Purdue, obviously there's Zach E, but the two freshman guards, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, even if they haven't looked their best at certain points in the year, they've still hit huge shots game after game. Northwestern, you got the dynamic duo of Audige and Bowie. Uh, you got Indiana, you know, Jalen Huchifino has risen into a star in his freshman year along with Trace Jackson-Davis. Michigan State's interesting to me because they have, you know, they have A.J. Hogard and Tyson Walker uh, and, I mean, among other guys. Um, so it feels like that's more of, like, a collective effort in which we thought Rutgers was going to have, you know, a collective effort of if you need someone to take that final shot, you can go to multiple different guys. But, unfortunately, it hasn't exactly gone like that. Um, we've kind of seen it, you know, fall onto Cam Spencer and not much else in terms of effectiveness.
1: Yeah. I, I think... Derek Simpson could be that guy in the future, Jake, and he's had some statements. Penn State is one, Indiana is another, but he still has to come into his own. Like the year with Corey Sanders, that was when Geo Baker was a freshman, and Geo Baker was starting to make some moves, and he was getting significant playing time that increases the year went on, but he still wasn't the dynamic player, and he wasn't the person you depended on. Problem is, you have Derek Simpson who's playing that Geo Baker role from 2018, but you don't have someone to play that Corey Sanders role. And this is what, at the beginning of the year, before the season even started, I'm a sophomore. My understanding and my thought process was that this would be the worst of the four years for Rutgers basketball, because last year you had Geo and Ron. By then we knew Gavin Griffiths was coming in next year. And then of course, now East Bailey's coming in two years and hopefully there's more from there. Maybe uh, a Dylan Harper at some point, but uh, there's other recruits. Delquan Warren is one. So I thought this year was kind of going to be a reset year. Like a, a transition period. Yes, a transition year. And I'm still happy that they're in the position that they are, that they could make a tournament. And again, Rutgers fans have to put into perspective how the team was very bad for three decades and did not make the tournament once. And now they're in a position to potentially make it for a third straight year. If COVID didn't happen, it would be a fourth this is really uncharted territory for the program, but I I understand the frustration too, uh, especially with where Rutgers was for the first three months of the season and how it looked like they were locks to make it to the tournament and the Malat Mag injury happened. You lose some games that you shouldn't have lost, including three at home. Jersey Mike's arena kind of loses its home court advantage because Rutgers had an unprecedented five home losses this season, and next thing you know, just like last year, they're fighting and clawing to make the tournament as they enter Big Ten tournament play, so it's kind of weird that that's happened, and I understand that there's some frustration with the way the season ended, but with the roster that they had, I'm still pretty happy that they ended up going as far as they did, because the Big Ten Conference is tough, and... You know, no wins are easy, and based on what we've seen from the team in the years before Steve Peichel and even his first couple of years here, uh, I I still think they're making, you know, progress.
2: Yeah, it's it's really hard to qualify this year as, like, a disappointment, no matter how tomorrow's game goes and no matter how the selection show goes, because people forget, coming into the season, Rutgers was projected to finish 10th in the Big Ten. Now you can say they finished 9th, but, you know, pretty much tied for 3rd, you could say. Uh, Thanks to a bunch of tiebreakers, they they got the ninth seed in the tournament. Um, And some of the highs that we've experienced this year, I don't think anyone would have expected coming in, uh, especially on the heels of losing, you know, two of the two of the program cornerstones. So it's it's really hard to view this program, uh, view this season as a disappointment. But expectations do change as results change. So next year, you know, with the five star Gavin Griffiths coming in along with uh, along with your Michael Davis, um, there may be increased expectations. Um, but I don't think I don't think it should be qualified as a disappointment this year. We'll see how next year goes, too.
1: Yeah, we shall see a uh, Big Ten tournament just getting started today. Ohio State's facing off with, with Wisconsin. That game actually tips in just a couple of minutes. And then Minnesota 14 seed faces Nebraska Rutgers. The early game tomorrow against Michigan will have coverage starting here at 1145 a.m. Dylan Allen and Dennis Geisler will have the call from the United Center. Alex Carminati, Mo Galupchik, and I will be here for halftime and nightline. But Rutgers beginning their journey in the Big Ten men's basketball tournament tomorrow against Michigan. While we're at the bottom of the hour, we'll take our first break here on Crew. When we come back, it'll be time for Locks of the Week. So stay with us. Eddie Kaleggi with Gideon Fox, Alec Krauthamel, and Jake Maystell. You're listening to the WRSU Wednesday Crew on 88.7 FM and WRSU.com. of the week here on a wednesday wrc crew eddie kalegi gideon fox alec Crowdhamel, and jake may stell of course a lot of basketball going on we are in the month of march several conferences holding their tournaments right in the middle of it a world baseball classic getting started there's a lot of sports to talk about nba it's and madness. NHL. yes it is madness
0: we're not gonna sleep for like
1: the next i don't know
0: Seven weeks? We sleep
2: in May.
1: I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. I don't know about you, Giddy. It's I Fred's. sleep in May. But we are going to... I, I'll, I'll get us started. Uh, so we have two fill-ins on the Wednesday crew. One of the people who is usually here is Jack Basaya, And he was not here tonight because his intramural basketball team has reached the playoffs and the second oh. round over at Cook Campus. And his team's playing tonight. That was my league last year. Nice. Did you ever score 15 and a half or more points?
2: Uh, no. Most okay. points I scored was like six.
1: Well, Jack Pasea is playing tonight, and I asked him what the line is for... Points for him tonight, and he from the source himself he said 15 and a half. And knowing what he was able to do in the WRSU Targum game last year, where he absolutely carried and scored 23 in a game where we scored by ones and twos, there's no reason why he can't top that. So I am taking the over on Jack Basaya tonight. I don't know what sports book you can find this in, but 15 and a half, hammer it. He's gonna get up there well into double digits. Maybe he'll even score 20 tonight. Jack Bessaya, class act. He will score the over, and whatever his team is called, they will win tonight on Cook Campus. I uh, like
2: it, I like it, I like it.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> all right, I guess, I guess I'll
2: go next. So, I'm, uh, li- like Eddie said, I'm usually on the Thursday crew where I've kept track of all the locks. Uh, my lock last time was almost three weeks ago. I've been traveling for the past couple weeks. Uh, it was, Jake's and mine both did not hit in brutal circumstances. When, uh, when Arizona played Utah, I had Arizona minus 11.5, which covered. I had under 146 and a 146.5 total points, which, I mean, thanks to some late free throws by Arizona, ended up not hitting in brutal fashion. And then Jake had Houston minus 15.5 over uh, SMU, which SMU had another brutal backdoor cover. So we're not on a very hot streak right now. But.
3: Yeah, and I my lock last week was I picked the Nets to cover and win. They did win, but they did not cover. They beat the spread. They vastly outpaced. It was either—I think it was Boston they were playing. Yeah. Um which was kind of weird because they were losing by a lot earlier in the game. I was like, "Ah, oh, dang, I, yeah. I, I, I screwed you guys. But So,
2: <laughs> I, so I guess for my lock, since it's college basketball, tournament season, conference tournaments, March Madness, I'm the big college basketball guy um, among, among all of the other big college basketball guys here at the, at the station. Um, so I am going to go with a championship game that tips off in just under an hour, the Patriot League, where Colgate, the one seed, We'll be p- facing off against Lafayette, and the funny thing about Lafayette, they are 11 and 22 this year and finished eighth in the conference. If they were to win tonight, they would be the worst team to make it to the NCAA tournament in terms of record. Rutgers oh my does goodness. know Lafayette oh. well. Yeah, we, <laughs> know, Rutgers, we know those leopards. Yeah.
3: Uh, um, so, 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 what do we, who do we root for here? Because obviously, we don't. We we're not really too fond of Lafayette after well, last basketball season. But at the same time. Do how much do we cherish that worst team to ever make the tournament?
2: Well, uh, well, here's
1: the deal. I don't think it really. Eff- it's not going to affect Rutgers that yeah. much because Colgate's Col- not going
2: to make it at-large if they lose. Yeah, they're out if they lose. Yeah, so the I, only I, one I that, was that was a real challenge I don't Charleston, mean in that regard. But, oh, I mean just, purely. Just, well, well Rutgers, obviously
1: Colgate. We, we, don't, yeah. we don't like the Lafayette Leopards. Well, yeah. I'm going
0: to do anything else but watch Patriot League basketball tonight. So, so no now offense.
1: I,
2: on the other hand, will be watching because this is my lock. Um, yeah, they would have the worst the worst record uh, to make the NCAA tournament. The previous one would be in you know back in the '90s. It was 11 and 18, I believe, it's the worst record. Lafayette's 11 and 22 this year. Uh, the spread is my is 14 minus 14 in favor of Colgate, which seems really big. Um, and so with that, I uh, first I'm going to take the over of 133 and a half points scored. Um, and that's because I mean, Colgate's kind of a machine offensively. Matt Langle, I'm surprised. I'm honestly shocked he has not gotten a uh, major conference head coaching job yet, with the job he's done at Colgate. Um, so yeah, the, I, I'm I'm taking uh, I'm taking the over there. And then in terms of the spread, minus 14. That's it's pretty big. I mean, it, it seems like you might want to go with Lafayette there based on the way that they've been playing. Um, and I am not going to do that. I'm going to take. I to take uh, I'm going to take Colgate at minus 14 as uh it, it it just seems like you know the two times that Colgate has played Lafayette this year uh, a couple we- a couple weeks ago they won 73 to 69 and then back in January they won 69 57 um so with that I I think, I think Colgate's just going to you know blow them out of the water um they I mean they're second highest in the country in field goal percentage at 51 51% from the floor I think they're just going to run the leopards out the building and Move on to yet another NCAA tournament. Matt Langell will eventually get a head coaching job somewhere, but I don't know. Maybe not this year. So that's my lock. Minus 14 Colgate, over 133.5 points scored. already.
1: How, how about you, Jake?
2: I'm going to do
3: something I pretty much never do. I usually swear off doing this. But tonight, I don't really have a lot of – there aren't really a lot of games going on that I feel – that I know enough about to really make a statement about locks-wise. So I'm going to pick my own team to win tonight. And no, it's not the Scarlet Knights because that's happening tomorrow. First round of the Big East tournament is tonight. And at 8 p.m. on FS1, Villanova Wildcats are going to be playing the Georgetown Hoyas at Madison Square Garden. And I think Villanova, who's favored minus 11 to win in this game. I think Villanova is going to win this game because Georgetown is awful. And even though Pat Ewing is a Knicks legend, he is not a very good head coach in college basketball. I mean, it is totally possible that Villanova could lose this game because that's the kind of season that they've had but I don't think it's going to happen. I do think it's going to be close. I think Georgetown is going to cover. It's going to be I think it's going to be within 7 points that Villanova wins. But I do think they're going to win tonight and if they lose, well I only have myself to blame. <laughs> I mean Georgetown is pretty bad. They they are pretty bad, but Villanova has
0: also had some extremely bad losses this year so <laughs>
1: That is true. Over to you, Giddy.
0: Well, Alec, you inspire me with a college basketball route. Um, I'm going to go with the ACC. NC State is playing Virginia Tech tonight. Uh, NC State's already beaten Virginia Tech on the road earlier in the year. Uh, Virginia Tech also just lost a couple close games um, in the first couple, or just played in a couple close games to start off the tournament. Uh, It's a pretty close spread. It's minus two and a half. I'm going to take NC State to cover that one.
1: Alright, well, those are our locks. We touched college basketball uh in three ways and Jack Basseya basketball with the first lock. So also college basketball. <laughs> hey, so we uh, got yeah, four college say, basketball uh, Four locks ways. Tonight. That is true. Intramural college basketball. <laughs> it is is basketball played out of college. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. By college students. Exactly. John Rothstein should tweet about it.
2: Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack Bassey pounding Nails.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jack Basseya, here comes the pain. <laughs>
2: I guess you could say that about Louisville basketball. They finally ended four and twenty eight this year.
0: Wow! Thank God that season's over for yeah. them. I mean, yeah. that's just that's a business. Is that the that's probably what's a bigger disappointment? Louisville season or or North Carolina or yeah UNC season. Um, but UNC season is still going on.
1: I mean, uh, I I would wouldn't count UNC. out UNC. I would not count out UNC in March. U- the-
3: UNC just because. They're on the verge of not making the tournament, despite being preseason ranked, like, number one.
2: I don't think that's ever happened. It
3: hasn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I I think with expectations that big going into the season, especially considering they made the national championship last year, to, to fall off as hard as they have now, I mean, if they win the ACC tournament, then they're going to be in to the national tournament, but... That's not going to happen. They've fallen off so hard. At least with Louisville, they were horrible from the get-go, so there weren't really expectations after like the first week.
2: I feel like a terrible team that not enough people are paying attention to has been Cal. They've been absolutely oh, yeah, miserable yeah. Did, this year. Is, is there, did they finish with a better or worse record than Louisville? I uh, they were getting close. I mean I
3: mean they were they were three, they were both winless at one point. they yeah, Cal's while.
0: three and twenty eight as Ooh. they trail by fourteen at halftime.
2: Yeah.
3: So uh, three and twenty
1: nine is on the way. Yeah,
2: exactly. And just a little local update. All time uh, season for Cal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little local update. Seton Hall is actually trailing DePaul thirty two twenty eight. At halftime That's in, the so 10, funny. in the Big East tournament. So. <laughs> That's so funny. It's <laughs> Something to look out for. So, yeah, we're touching a lot of college DePaul, basketball DePaul, for some reason, always
3: manages to, like, win in the first round of the Big East tournament. For no reason. Even though they're, like, the worst team in the Big hey, East they every beat Rutgers year. last year.
2: See, here's the funny thing about DePaul. DePaul was the only, pretty much the only team in the Big East that kept Rutgers from setting all kinds of futility records in the Big East. Uh, back in, like, the Fred Hill era and, like, the Mike Rice era. Um, Because DePaul was so bad that they, Rutgers was pretty much the only team that would beat them. Or, yeah, DePaul was pretty much the only team that Rutgers would actually beat. Um, So, like, when you see all the records for, like, most losses in a row or whatever, DePaul was pretty much the only team that kept Rutgers from joining that club.
3: Yeah, and that's why I think it's really funny that they always managed to, like, win in the first round of the Big East tournament for no reason other than teams just assume they're going to beat DePaul because it's DePaul. And then you have stuff like what you had a couple years ago, where I think Xavier lost to them in the first round. Before all the tournaments were eventually canceled because, um, you know, the world kind of ended. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I really hope Seton Hall loses this game to DePaul right here because that that would just be that would just be great. Much laughter would be had. Oh no, it's now a one point game. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Seton Hall might pull away this time. <laughs>
1: Wasn't well, it just like the start of the second half now? Yeah, yeah.
3: so I'm assuming well, we like, got a we got a long way to go. Jake.
2: I'm assuming Alamir Dawes hit a three on their first possession or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, do we want to uh, do we want to keep going or do we want to take a break and?
1: do whatever after that well we might as well take a break because uh we're going to take a wild segue when we come back for can we just talk we're oh, diving yeah. <laughs> into some data analytics of the wrsu crew and you are not going to want to miss <laughs> this segment uh so stay with us here for the final 15 minutes of our one can we just talk eddie kalecki gideon fox alec crown jake Maystell on 88.7 fm and wrsu.org We can talk. We are journalism majors, after all. Welcome back here to the WRSU crew. Here. End of hour one. Eddie Collegi Gideon Fox, Al, Crown, Chick, Mestel. We are journalism majors, but we are going to dive into the world of data analytics. Well, oh, data boy. journalism's a thing. I mean, <laughs> it actually. is.
2: It is. Yeah. So. Oh uh, boy. <laughs> what, what What are we going to talk about? Data analytics.
1: What kind of data analytics, Eddie? Well, it involves the WRSU crew, which is why it's so pertinent that we're discussing it right now. So exactly. We were in class, all four. But of the. It's quick side note. There is. A sports broadcasting class here with ten students, and seven of them are members of the WRC sports department. And the
0: professor's an alum.
1: Yes, and four of those seven are sitting in this room right now, and we're all on crew. And towards the end of class, uh, wait—the backstory of this is, uh, Alec, you guys posted the second episode of the Riot Squad podcast today, and you were looking at the analytics of that, and I suggested. Why don't we look at the WRSU crew analytics because there's been so many episodes and uh, I know there were some interesting findings. So let's spin the wheel and see.
2: So I guess we're going to look at where people are listening from on the WRSU crew. So we've got the uh, geographic location uh, on uh, on the uh, on the you know analytics for this uh, for the for the for the podcast for the crew ninety nine percent obviously United States you know pretty uh, pretty pretty uh, pretty straightforward forty four percent from New Jersey the next up is fourteen percent from New York interesting third place however thirteen percent from North Carolina uh, and then we got California Virginia Iowa Florida Massachusetts then it gets down to absolutely think
1: my my thought is older people who went to Rutgers. Uh, Many years ago that have since retired and moved to North Carolina because there were a lot of people that moved to North Carolina and Florida from New Jersey. That okay, but sense. how do
3: you explain California? That's like on the other side of the country. That there's a lot, so
1: there's a lot of people in California. And California's going to be a Big Ten state person. That's true. True. So true. I guess, Maybe so I guess, I guess we're going to get a lot more listeners. Well,
0: also Dean Reber's from Greensboro, North Carolina. Is true, yeah. That is true. That is true. It, are the Rebers tuning go. in? Shout out to Knightley? the Reber
2: family if they're listening.
0: And the Terry family has called in to Nightline before. That that's, really.
2: That's pretty awesome. So yeah, 99% United States that makes sense. Uh, and the next up, all, all the next countries are listed that are listed are at point one percent or one or, percent or actually less than one percent. Uh, so next up is Ireland. So uh,
3: that that makes sense. Yeah, the Irish hour. Yeah, yeah, of course. That that, that so makes sense. sense. They would they would stick around, right? Shout out El <laughs> McCoy. Yes. And
2: next up <laughs> is the Netherlands, um, and then next up is Canada. Are our, our neighbors up north?
0: Let's go. Cool. That's my family up there. That's
2: and them. And then and then next up is our wait. Neighbors. You're Canadian. You are. Yeah.
3: I, did I didn't know, know that. that. I didn't
2: know that either. Uh, next up are the, are, is our neighbors to the south, Mexico. And oh, by the way, while I was looking through those Riot Squad analytics, we have one listener for the Riot Squad podcast from Mexico. So now, the question is, uh, is
1: it the same listener who's listened to both the crew? That's a good question, honestly. But... I'm, not, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. It's a good I question. mean, you're on both of these podcasts. yes yeah, I
3: am. So yeah. it... it, it
1: Maybe they're a fan of you, Alec. Unless maybe it's I, just I, an Alec kraut fan I, from somewhere maybe. in Mexico. I, I, I guess we'll,
2: I guess <laughs> we'll see. Uh, next up is the UK, so the United Kingdom, You know, way out in Britain. Uh, next is Spain. Uh, this is where it gets really weird. We got Indonesia. Um, so shout out to our Indonesian WRSU crew listeners.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> That's
2: remarkable. <laughs> um, and then next up we got Israel, and again, less than 1%. I mean, it kind of um, it
3: kind of makes sense. We have we have a number of Jewish members yeah, here. W- yeah, yeah. There's the
0: Israel Hour too.
1: Yeah, yes, yes,
2: and, and, uh, uh, Israel yeah Israel. that makes sense. Next up, we got Germany. Uh, so shout out to the, uh, the people of my descent, German. Shout out to them. Uh, I mean, start, German
1: people do like football. We've seen yeah. that before. Maybe they're turning there in for
2: Rutgers football talk. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I I wonder if they're tuning in for the actual football. Uh, next <laughs> up, we got Lebanon. So uh, that's that's pretty. Yeah, cool. that that one that one's a bit out there. Yeah. Also, <laughs> a town in New Jersey. So that's pretty cool. Pretty critical cool parallel. Next up, we got Saudi Arabia. Um, that's that was where it took a real left turn. Um, <laughs> Made a left turn in
0: Yemen and never looked back. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then next up, we got Romania. So that was another interesting turn. Uh, and then we got the Sweden. So maybe the Palmquist family's tuning in. The Palmquist you know, family
1: crea- uh recorded a video for Senior Day. They did. It was, yes. very, it was very very nice. nicely yes. done. Whole Palmquist squad.
2: And then we're taking another we're taking another turn. And then we got Egypt next. Um, so, and then after that's Portugal, so uh, back to Europe. And then we're going all the way to Asia, so sh- South Korea, and then Belgium, and then South Africa. Uh, and then we go back to the Middle East, to the United Arab Emirates. So, uh, people in Dubai are WRSU crew fans. That's, that, um, we made it. Yeah. 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 And then we got Colombia, and then we got a sports hub, center of the world for a couple months for the World Cup, Qatar. So, that's interesting. Um, and then we got Russia, so you know, very very big country, Yay. lots of land, probably lots of people. Uh, yeah, then we got Greece. <laughs> uh, we we got Greece up next. The uh, so uh, we, Sakonis our, Sakonis our, 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 family may have been listening. Hey. Our former oh, sports true. director Chris Sakonis. Uh, and then we got the Australians. Hopefully, Australians hopefully bigger, uh, the Corsacks are listening. Yeah, the, oh, the Cors- listening Yeah. Uh, and then we got Austria. So I don't... Do we know any Austrian people?
3: I, I do have
2: some Austrian in my... Oh, in there you my go. Oh, there Austria goes, my Austria Austria-Hungarian. The there, we go. It's there we go. The music. There we go. It counts. Um, then we got France. So the French, they, they love Rutgers sports. Uh, and then we take another turn for uh, Malaysia. So that was, that was an interesting one. Um, and then... You know a, a Somewhere closer by to us Puerto Rico So we got some Shout got out some Max Sanchez Yeah shout out oh, Max this. Sanchez yeah, There you go And also a funny tidbit That has nothing to do with this um, And also I'm also breaking the rule Of can we just talk Where you're not supposed To talk about sports uh, Isaiah Pacheco's helmet From the Super Bowl Where he had a A sticker of the of, uh, of the Puerto Rican flag Was placed in the Pro Football Hall of Fame Earlier So that's that's pretty cool Hey tidbit. that's, that's cool. still
3: That's still awesome yeah. and that,
2: It is definitely awesome Yes And um, it connects to but, it, it does, does yeah. Yeah. That, just yeah. mean,
3: that just means That Isaiah Pacheco Is the hall of fame in some sort of yeah way. Exactly he's, he's in the hall of fame museum he's not in the, be in the hall, hall of fame, fame in a few years with anyways. the bus but he, he's in the museum
2: um and then next up we got brazil so pretty big country big sports country uh then we take a real turn we got kuwait <laughs> um so which that can kind of came out of nowhere i read that i was like wow that's pretty cool um and then we got the philippines so shout out to uh shout out to the philippines and then ukraine um, as a uh, also a less than one percent. Shout,
3: um, shout out, shout out, Ukraine! I got family there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> shout out, shout out, my stealth family in Ukraine.
1: Wait, is Poland on the list at I all? I don't think so. Wow, that's exactly. interesting. In this is insane. <laughs> I am Polish. We need Polish listeners in the WRC crew. I'm very yeah. Passionate
2: I mean, about that that's that, that that stinks because we don't we don't have the kolegi family tuning in to the WRC Pierogis crew based in Poland. Are great. Pierogies are great. <laughs> Pierogies are so great. Yes. They are so great. Um, so then, after let's see, so Philippines, uh, Ukraine, then we got India. So we okay, got, that makes sense. Yeah, we got glimpses um, of India here. Yeah, we do have glimpses of India. Uh, we also got Laos, uh, located also in Asia. I was not expecting to see Laos on this list, so that was pretty. Uh, pretty is interesting. Italy on there? I don't think so. I'm not even with
1: it Austin Alberici, We have exactly. mentioned him <laughs> multiple times. He is also going back to Italy
2: to play professional football. Yes. Uh, so after. Yes, yeah, so after we got Laos, we got the Republic of Lithuania.
0: Didn't realize it was a republic. That I was did not. I thought it was just me. Lithuania. Yeah, that
2: and the just... most notable Lithuanian person I know of is Jonas Valanciunas. So that's that's pretty cool. And Maybe then finally, and the finally, to close out, we got Finland. So, um, and then in terms of you know interplanetary listeners, a hundred percent of our listeners are located on Earth. <laughs> Um, so, unfortunately, we don't have any alien contact on the WRSU crew just that yet. That we know of. That, uh, we, know that of. we know of. That we know At mean, least, just, at the very the, least. This is
3: just the analytics if, from yeah. listening to the
2: podcast
3: in post. Right? Uh, this is true. Maybe radio true. We yeah. waves. We don't know yes. that they're not hijacking the radio
0: Well, it's the 80. Waves. 7. It's 80.7 on the dial WRSU around the world. Yeah. Not around, around the, the galaxy. Around the universe. Yeah, but I mean, so, I like,
3: y- you know, maybe they pass by. They hijack the radio waves. See what's
2: If
0: up. they're flying through Central Jersey, they fly right over... You know, it could happen. Yeah, it,
2: it could happen. So, um, yeah, so that was how the uh, – that's pretty much where people are listening to the WRSU crew. Also, a funny note that I found, uh, 91 – per, or actually, close to 96% of the uh, people that listen to the WRSU crew in the podcast form are using Apple devices. So 91.3% uh, is on an iPhone, 4% on a Mac. And three point nine percent on others. So
1: that yeah, that's a that's a pretty big uh, that's a pretty big. Uh, um, that's more than I thought. I mean, over ninety yeah. percent for Apple. I mean, I know I know Apple. Most people have, and sorry, Jake, it's the way to go. But uh, <laughs> it's you know. it's you y'all
3: are fine to use inferior phones if you want, In- and inferior computers. I'm, now, I'm not going to stop it,
1: you. No offense to you, but it makes it very inconvenient when you have a group chat that's full of. Uh, apples, and it's so easy to have the blue text, and you can react to messages and everything, and I don't know. When you have one Android, it turns it green. That's true. And then 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 when you react
0: to a message, it's like Jake Maystel liked, in quotes, I'm playing basketball tonight. And then it's like, someone liked liked Jake Maystel. Oh, well, that's really funny to do. I mean, (laughs) that's (laughs) that's true. It does make it inconvenient, but... I mean,
3: that's everybody else's fault for making Apple the preferred phone provider rather than Samsung or Google.
2: <laughs> I was also able to see what our highest-rated episodes of The Crew were. Ooh. Um, so I guess you guys can take your guesses as to what the, okay. the most plays on one episode Okay. Is right. it the okay. Geo okay. Baker, Ron?
0: The, the Geo and Luke
2: Oh, ones. yeah. yeah that, that, Luke one, that one. That one. That one's got to be up there. up there. No, it's not, actually. Oh, really? Whoa. No. Okay. Okay, so... so the episode of Crew, uh, I I don't really know if this is a whole episode of Crew with the most listens, is uh, was from May of May of last year, 2022. Uh, the it was only the interview itself, a one on one with Rutgers men's lacrosse's Dante Coolis. So that was the most okay. played uh, episode. The freshman. Yeah, Dante the Coolis. Freshmen. The freshman. <laughs> yeah, shout out Carm. Uh, next up is also from May of 2022, WRC Tuesday Crew Hour One, Rutgers baseball news, Mitch Bartolo interview, locks of the week.
3: That, that's that's uh, interesting So so we were doing pretty well in May last year
1: Yeah. Tuesday, and then, the Tuesday crew That might have been the last one With Amir and me and Karm Yeah so it was oh, the last it was the last, Historic. W,
2: it was the last WRSU crew first Last tank. one was Shannon and Skip <laughs> And then the next one is also From uh, March of 2022 last year uh, The WRSU crew interview With uh, now the Scarlet Faithful's Aaron Brightman So that was tied for second With the uh, Tuesday crew um, the episode where we had uh, Geo Baker and yeah, okay, so that's actually farther down on the list than I thought um, They're both they both have the same amount of plays with Geo Baker and Luke Dathan uh, Both of them are pretty high up, uh, but not as high as I thought it would be Let's see if I can my count.
1: one thought for that one is that unlike any other episode we promoted the live airing of that like crazy it was also right after the end of a baseball game, so there yeah. may have been people who just stuck with it and listened to it live.
2: Yeah, that makes it. It's tied for about twentieth in terms of all time episodes. That's
0: a good point. So it could have been the, one of the most listened to live, live. episodes. I th- that's, right. Yes. That's like I think right. If we had
2: that okay, data. That makes, it that makes sense. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. a good point, yeah. That makes sense. I'm going to
3: buy it. I have to imagine a lot of people listened to that episode of the crew, but not necessarily went back and listened to it again. Yeah. um, There probably weren't as many people who missed it. I mean, it
1: was very promoted. Gio was, like, posting on his Instagram story a video of him and Amir walking to the station. Like, it was... People, people knew what was going on. We this, tweeted yeah. about it this a was before, before.
2: This was before I was a member of the station, so I was like pretty hyped up for it, too. It was a I, fun like, day. I called in, along with like Mawatt Mag, I think, called in. Yeah, yeah Mawatt like, m- Mawat yeah. Mag called Oscar in from Palmquist, Stop and Shop. Oscar Palmquist <laughs> called in at some point, too, I'm pretty sure. He was
0: doing homework for a class that me and DA were in with him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's
2: um, see. I I I was I was over in
3: the newsroom listening at one point. <laughs> I
1: remember Amir was accused of like cheating at Mario Kart too. It was it was it was a whole wild. We still need to get. How a, do you a, cheat at Mario? That's Kart? That's a great question. I need to How know. do you
2: cheat at Mario Kart? <laughs> now also also I was able to see um the uh, some of the other analytics in, in the wrc. We only have a couple minutes left, so we can go through this pretty quickly. Um, so the the gender ratio, we are a largely male dominated audience. Uh, where it's 87.6% male, which is interesting, 6.6% female and 5.8% non-binary. So we are a largely male-dominated audience. And then for age, uh, we have zero listeners under the age of 18, which I thought was interesting. Um, and 74% of our listeners are probably us because 74% of our <laughs> listeners are 18 to 22. So I'm assuming that's just us listening. Uh, along with other you know, Rutgers other, st- other Rutgers yeah. students. I'll take it. Uh, and then 9% of 23 to 27... And the next highest is seven percent of 45 to 59 per, uh, 49 to 59 years old so uh yeah it's it's interesting to look at this kind of thing uh, what
0: i'm curious about is let's say listen on spotify you, you have your birthday your spotify account your location fine but how do they track gender that's do i you, guess it's like well, uh, i mean spotify i guess, account, I guess if you under. if you put, you put in your gender when you sign up for spotify account? i'm trying to remember
1: I, oh, so. I fairly recently signed up to spotify it was like May, last May, so oh, did you I, sign up I for
3: Spotify think... to be part of the the play the warm up playlist?
1: Uh, no, it was before oh. that. It was okay. to do a playlist with my friends. Oh, turns the out- second thing I did with Spotify was the warm up playlist <laughs> where we had ten hours of songs on it in about a minute. <laughs>
2: okay, so I actually changed it from the last thirty days to all time, so it's a little less skewed in terms of the devices used. Uh, iPhone makes up only seventy seven point six percent. Android is the next highest at three at four point one. Mac, 2.3 Come on,
1: Android bros. Let's go. We we got to make this happen. You're down 77 to 4. Calm down. (laughs) Hey, you know what? uh, You know
2: what? Don't call it a comeback. And and then, of course, we're still, even with all time, we're still a largely male-dominated audience with 84%. So this was just a cool little segment to look into, you know, who's listening to the podcast after it's already been aired.
1: See, we know how to do math. And speaking of math. Wait, we do? We do. And we, we know numbers and big numbers. We will talk about uh, some numbers related to the NFL, including Daniel Jones, in my opinion, getting paid a little bit too much. Uh, we will shift to that for hour two franchise tag deadline. What's going to happen with the quarterback carousel in the NFL? Stay with us with Gideon Fox, Alec Krauthamel and Jake Maystel. I'm Eddie Kalecki. You're listening to 88.7 WRSU FM New Brunswick and streaming live at WRSU.org.